And I always knew that there would be a challenge like 08 coming again, but I didn't want to be holding the same bag that I was then where I wake up to an email and, and, you know, 40% of my revenue is gone because one person made a decision that was completely out of my control. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method Hey guys, we're hopping into the podcast today with a friend and former guest of the show, Russ Perry. Russ is the founder of Design Pickle, and I actually had him on the show about two and a half years ago, nearly 200 episodes ago. And at the time, we chatted a lot about his company, Design Pickle, which was then just three years old. And they were doing half a million dollars a month and had 125 employees. Russ had some really good insight on philosophy as an entrepreneur, how to build a business that serves you, serves the founder as much as it serves the customers and clients and the team as well. And on top of that, creating uh, a business that you can manage remotely, a digital business that can be managed and run remotely. And so now fast forward two and a half years later, Russ's business is about five years old or so, a little bit older, and they do $14 million in annual revenue with a team of nearly 500 people. Also applying those same philosophies that he was two years ago. Now, here's the reason I brought Russ back onto the show. Russ was a digital entrepreneur running a creative agency back in 2008 during the recession. He was in Phoenix, Arizona, which was like the impact zone for the housing crisis and cash crunch back then. So he survived that time. He's, his business continued to flourish through that time. And he has some really good tips about the failures and the hard times that he had surviving through that recession as an entrepreneur, the cutbacks that he had to go through, the challenges, the anxiety he had to manage. It's really great to hear from another digital entrepreneur that survived the 08 recession, came out on the backside of it with more pros than cons, and then the lessons that he applied going into this crisis now. Russ has a lot of insight on this, a lot of valuable tips, you guys. We talk about the lessons that he took away from 08 when he saw the global pandemic, the changes that are happening and the immediate things that he implemented within the company and within his team. We talked about you know how he's had to shift his business in the past eight weeks to change the messaging, to t- change prices, 
Even though they're a service-based business, April was was the highest month of enrollments that he has ever had, which is really, really impressive. Russ has some really valuable tips on top of that of why times like these are a good reason to diversify your money. So a great episode, you guys. Highly recommend it for any entrepreneur that's going through challenges. It's always good to listen to people that have been through a recession, depression, crisis time before. And before we jump into this episode, you guys, these podcasts can happen because of awesome sponsors that we have like NomadX. NomadX.com is shaping the way remote workers live, work, and learn online at NomadX.com. Remote workers can find apartments, bedrooms, or co-living spaces to rent on a monthly basis, 50% more affordable than Airbnb. True story, you guys. Plus, that's not all. NomadX is a comprehensive educational platform providing easy-to-learn courses to start or to scale your successful location-independent online business. They have built an incredible community with more than 7,000 remote workers and online entrepreneurs, and they have over 21,000 followers on Instagram to show you how to position yourself as an authority and how to combine different social media channels to gain maximum visibility. During these remote working times, NomadX.com is the trusted community for location-independent entrepreneurs to live, work, and learn online. Check them out at NomadX.com. That's NomadX.com. And now, let's hop in to today's podcast. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Business Method Podcast. We're glad to have you guys here. And I'm excited to have today's guest in and on the show for a couple of reasons. One, we did a show with him about two and a half years ago, and it was nearly 200 episodes ago. So we're going to catch up to see uh, what our guest has been doing over the past two and a half years, and it's pretty impressive. His name's Russ Perry, and Russ is the founder of Design Pickle. And actually, two and a half years ago, when Russ was on the show, uh, Design Pickle was at about a half million dollars and with 125 employees or so. And I think that was a half million dollars a month. And then currently now they have over 500 employees with $14 million in annual revenue. Is that correct, Russ? You nailed it. Okay, good. And uh, on top of that, he's built built other businesses as well. But I liked his philosophy a lot, talking about building a business that serves all people in the business, not just the client and customers, not just the employees, but also a business model that serves the founder, you know, mm-hmm. and Um, On top of that, he had a business model where the majority of it was remote, was location independent. So he could run it while he was abroad or traveling. Uh, A lot of the employees were remote as well. And the reason why we brought him, him, excuse me, why we brought him in for this episode is because Russ also lived as an entrepreneur through the 2008 recession. And we're bringing in a lot of people in that can give advice about how to handle crises, how to handle recessions as entrepreneurs, because I would say the majority of digital entrepreneurs out there were not running a business in the 08 recession. So to get somebody that was running a creative agency during that time uh, can give a lot of valuable feedback. So that's the intro. Russ, I want to welcome you to the show. How are you doing, buddy? Welcome back. Thanks for having me. I don't do returns very often. I feel feel honored. I must mean that I did a decent job the first time around. 
(laughs) (laughs) You did, man. Well, we had some overlap. We had quite a few mutual friends and we met in Bangkok, if you remember, uh, after your presentation. So yeah, it was great. Um, no, but I, I, I kept you in the back of my mind because I used to live in Phoenix as well. And I know you're calling in from your, your office in Phoenix at the moment, which you're there all by yourself, right? Nobody else is coming in. Yeah. And not to, you know, if you're from Phoenix, there are nuances. I'm actually in Scottsdale, but I just want to, you know, put that out there. But yeah, we're here. Um, it's five minutes from my house and I have three three daughters of varying ages. So uh, working from home is is not working at all for me. So luck, luckily and thankfully, I've been able to come here throughout all the insanity over the last month and a half. Yeah, I hear you, man. So, you know, what was you were running a creative agency in 08, Russ? What what type of what was it? What was the company exactly? Right. You know, my entrepreneurial background stemmed really was born in 2005, 2006 uh, went through the, the, the 2008 period and then sputtered out in 2014. We probably talked about that last time and how that, you know, a lot of the lessons learned of running the creative agency formed the ideas around design pickle. But during that time, right in the middle of the 2008, 2009, I was really working as a branding and marketing strategist, uh, for, small tech brands, B2B brands, product manufacturers. Uh, Our largest client was a home building product manufacturer. They made countertops. And so you can't imagine how crazy it was during that recession when, you know, 80% of your client, 80% of your revenue was someone making home countertops and there's a housing crisis going (laughs) on. So it was tough. And you like at that time I had a lot less kids um, I wasn't married. I was, I was with my current wife. We were just dating. So life was a little simpler, but it still was a huge challenge. And I do say some of those experiences I had planted the seeds for the decisions that I made almost, uh, you know, eight years later when I launched Design Pickle. I had started my first entrepreneurial endeavor with a real estate uh, network marketing company. And within about a year... No, it was a year and eight months, I guess. Um, you know, everything went south. October 2008 is when it really hit, right? Yeah. And we, we remember that date. And um, no income was coming in. I lost my, I, I had a nice little sports car, lost a sports car. I was living in Old Town Scottsdale, uh, couldn't pay rent, had to donate plasma to just like get food and, and yeah. keep things oh, going. Man. I've donated <laughs> plasma too. That's, that's how you know. That's how you know it was rough. And so... Um, take us through that time. Like, like, like you, it was one of the best, um, financial lessons, business lessons, especially to be ready and prepared for this crisis that we didn't know was going to hit us, but take us through those times in 2008. Was this your very first business, Russ? It was. Yeah. So, um, prior to this, I'd worked for Apple and I worked on the branding and marketing side for them, uh, for college, the college markets, both in college and after college, I was working on higher education sales so when I started this agency, uh, it was called Keen Creative, K-E-A-N-E, terrible name, which also why I've named it Design Pickle, because I just, everyone can understand that name. But this agency was really focused on delivering consumer level ideas, you know, ideas that would be more attuned to a consumer brand into the B2B space. So we were doing really well uh, for a while because we approached branding, we approached design really fresh and our clients Chris were boring. I mean, like a great example I always use is 
we had one client who was a, a rural electric company that had created a piece of software to send out text messages when the grid went down because their farmers and all the people that they served don't weren't online or they, they weren't by their, their, their phones or maybe they still had pagers. So they would get text messages and we were like rebranding this company and it was just so silly. But I remember headed into, you know, as things started to, to, to unfold and I was learning a lot of business lessons uh, real fast. I think the, one of the first things that I was, I had done that actually helped me, I'll talk about something that helped me and something that really screwed me over both my own fault was that I had never, uh, over, over hired. I never overstaffed in terms of our cost structure. Our cost structure was always really flexible. It was always really fluid. Um, we had an office, but it wasn't some crazy big studio. It was actually, a work live space on Tempe in Tempe, Arizona. So, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I never felt the need to overdo my costs. And a lot of that was the amount of money we were making, but also I, you know, I just found myself focused on the work, you know, and my competition were a lot of bigger agencies in town, um, other agencies in other markets around the company. And all those guys, I mean, a lot of those guys, they were the ones with the huge offices, beer cart Fridays, like all the fancy things that I was envious of, but I never really got around to going down that path. And thankfully I did it. Um, So that was like a huge lesson and something that even to this day, like we're very conscious about is, you know, how, how flexible is our, our, our cost structure with our people, our teams. Um, But now the one thing though, that I, totally missed the boat on. And this was a very, very hard lesson was I did not run the legal side of my business very cleanly. And so people in tough times do crazy things. People in tough times make decisions that you never thought they would make. And several of my clients who I thought were my, my, one was a friend from college. One was a client I had for a long time they walked away from a lot of contracts that either we a didn't have because I did it on a handshake deal or B my contract was so poorly written because I copied and pasted it from five different things on Google uh-huh. that I, it would have never been enforced. So I lost at the time, probably a hundred thousand dollars of revenue in like 30 days due to these decisions. And there, and all those people, they're not bad people. I was still friends with that guy who, one of my friends, um, we're still friends to this day, but they were all, they're just put in their own tough situation. So they're trying to figure things out. And so fast forward to today, you know, that was a huge lesson and something I made in 2015 was like the legal and the structure and the way you make money needs to be protected legitimately. Like signed contracts need to be signed contracts, client agreements, terms of service agreements need to be locked and loaded because you don't know what people are going to do. Um, from a, from a personal standpoint, man, ups and downs, emotions, wild. That was when we had one of our first credit card Christmases. That's when I couldn't pay myself enough and (laughs) and all the Christmas presents were bought on a credit card, Uh but I'm sure there's, you know, we all, I mean, if we were, if we were adults during that time, we can have similar stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Take us through like, um, did, did, would you say, did your business survive the 08, 09 recession? It did. Did It It did. Yeah. We had to scale down to just me and two other people. Um, our clients, 
you know, where we had to do pay, massive pay cuts across the board. I wasn't paying myself at the time. Uh, that was before I had the philosophy that, that I do today in which I have to make sure I take care of myself. So I was not even getting paid. Um, and that was, that was rough. I was in my twenties. I never had had to tell someone, you know, one of my team members, he was married, you know, it's like, sorry, man, like you're, you're going to lose this amount of money. Can you stay? I need you, but this is happening. And those conversations were, um, you know, I wasn't prepared for them really to be completely honest. How did, how did you handle them then that, you know, going into those conversations, um, what are the things you learned from those specifically? Yeah. I mean, I think there's how I handled them and how I should have handled them Two very different outcomes. How I handled them was with, was, was just like a, a weenie, you know, like I, 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 I was still painting a rosy optimistic picture. I wasn't, I wasn't clear on the finances, on the, on the contracts, what was coming in, what wasn't. And I wasn't, I wasn't confident enough to face the numbers and face the truth of the numbers. So thankfully the decisions we made were the right ones, but it was by luck. Like I didn't know, Hey, I need to cut costs by 20% because our projections are down and this is what we're projecting. So this is how we're going to cover it. You know, A, B, C, D. And so we're making decision F. Not at all. I was just guessing. And thankfully we figured out, I guessed slightly correctly, but that was super unfair to my team because I'm asking them to make decisions, trusting in me, and I'm not doing the due diligence for myself as a CEO, as a leader to actually know what the data is behind these decisions. So what I should have done is what I've done with Design Pickle in that we have clear forecasts. We run daily analysis on our growth and our metrics. And we, you know, we have 13-week cash forecasting going on right now with minimum thresholds that if we see that forecast go below these levels, we're making adjustments two months in advance, three months in advance. And that took 10 years almost of, you know, 12 years of business training, acumen, but I now don't have a problem with hard conversations because it's rooted in the facts. It's rooted in the data. Right. It strips the emotions out of it. And people can either decide to stay or not or whatever. I mean, we haven't had to do any cuts or layoffs or anything yet. And not to say we won't, but I know I could at least give people a 60 day plus head start on whether they want to continue on this path or find a different one. If that, if those decisions were required, which is very generous because a lot of companies don't do that, you know, because oh, they just today, man, dude, I was booking a car. I'm actually taking my first flight on Monday to, to deal with some personal properties we're trying to sell uh, unrelated to the crisis. We were just trying to sell them great timing, obviously. I went to book a rental car on Hertz. And then like the next day I see that they're like, might be going bankrupt. Oh, like they're firing everyone. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, companies are making these decisions with no notice. Yes, absolutely. Big ones, big ones for sure. But I, I can't imagine being in those, in that situation. So you said the the 60 day forecast uh, was no 13 week forecast. Is that what you said? Yeah. 13 so, week forecast. Yeah. And who's analyzing the 13 week forecast? Is it the top tier of the team, like the, the executives? So I made a big push uh, in 2019 and it took me over a year to hire, make this hire, but I wanted to have an in-house finance person at Design Pickle. Uh, part of that was the decision 
one day if we decide to take on some some capital, like I want someone on my team who's who's helping work through that process. And so we finally hired a finance manager this year. He was a data analyst from an engineering company uh, in in Arizona, and and it's been life changing. I mean, you know, coming back to lessons learned and how do you manage a crisis like this? You got to know your numbers. You got to know your numbers. You got to know your clients' cost. Your what you're projecting. The, all of these details, and we've done a good job, and I've faked it along the way, but going from 14 million to 100 million, I'm not going to be the guy that run that. So we brought someone in three months ago prior to all this going down, and Chris, I, I, like, I can't imagine going through this experience right now, this, this, this financial challenges, and not having this person. I mean, his name's Frank. We love him. He's like amazing. And um, and it's given me clarity and confidence as a leader to make faster decisions, clearer decisions, to, to, to look ahead, which is really my best place to be. And, um, and so him and I meet multiple times a week. We have scheduled meetings every Friday to review the forecast. We have kickoff meetings every Monday with the whole leadership team. And everyone's included in those financial conversations. So we're not compartmentalizing anything. Nice. Very good. Okay, let's go back to 08, Russ. Um, I, a lot of people that we've been talking to, so I don't think you know this, but we've just ran a string of uh, masterminds, crisis masterminds for the past five weeks. I with, did. I was on your list. I didn't join. Oh, did you? Okay, okay. So, no, I did see them come through. <laughs> so, so we had um, over 60 people join, and the the overlying factor is is like people are just having such a hard time managing stress and anxiety right now. Not only are they uncertain about their business, like you and I were back in 08, but they're also locked up in their homes. Sometimes they're alone. Sometimes they're around realizing they're in relationships, intimate relationships that aren't as healthy as they thought it was. Um, you know, so so those levels are just going through the roof. Um, from your experience, it, actually now and through 08, and I know you've went through a lot of personal growth, you know, through that time as well. What are some things that you did in 08 and that you've learned over the past 12 years or so that really help you manage anxiety, stress, um, chaos, this crisis, and the whole kit and caboodle, like your family and relationships on top of it? So big question. And my simplest answer is I quit drinking. <laughs> that, was, so that is huge. Yes. Six, six years ago, plus I decided to just quit drinking and I've been sober since. And I wasn't, I was, I was drinking in 08 and 09 and it was chaotic with my emotions. It was chaotic with my stress. Um, you know, alcohol and substances, there's always a reason why we're using it, you know, whether it is for social, whether it's for stress, whether it's because it, it helps normalize some chemical imbalance already existing inside of us. And we're trying to figure that out. Um, you know, th th those, those, things uh are 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 have time and purpose i'm not i'm not going to demonize drinking because a lot of my friends still do i chose sobriety for a lot of reasons i uh, wrote a book about it but the the reason that the thing now is all the healthy coping mechanisms of stress have been really severely reduced going to the gym um, getting, you know, hanging out with friends, doing, doing what we want to do on the weekends where we can, you know, even for me, I wanted to go build like a planter and I'm, and I'm like, should I get a load? Should I not? Should I get the wood? Can I get it delivered? Like, it's like, there's more stress even in the things that normally shouldn't be stressful because of all the decisions that we're running through. So, um, so what I learned is like, be very 
conscious about your substance use. If you are drinking or if you're smoking or <laughs> if you're into psychedelics or whatever you're doing, microdosing, because it can easily, in, in these kind of circumstances, go from a social mechanism that's used to suppression, to depression, to avoiding the challenging things that might not have an easy solution and you just got to push into it. Say, for example, a dysfunctional relationship. I'd rather have a few drinks at night to take away the edge of that than to get into an argument and, get, and, and you know, get into that conflict again. Well, you're just kicking the can down the road. So, you know, for me, I actually just finished the audiobook of, of the audio version of Sober Entrepreneur, which is the book that I wrote in 2017. And uh, hopefully it will come out next month. I'm waiting for the approval from um, Audible, Amazon Audible. But the reason I, I spent a weekend, two weekends ago, the last month finishing it is this exact reason, Chris. It was like, I was like, shit, people are going to be cooped up. They're going to be not knowing what to do. You know, this book is, people like audiobooks generally a little bit better anyway. So I, I rushed to get this done, recorded it myself so that, so that there can be a lifeline for folks trying to navigate it. And, um, and, you know, my wife and I have a podcast, Good to Be Home podcast, and one of our last episodes was on this topic. And it's just identifying, am I, am I, using, am I using substances to, to suppress and avoid and if the answer is yes, then boom, red flag right there. And that's where you dive into it. Um, but I, you know, like, even if I, I, I still drank, I would not be drinking right now because <laughs> like, I feel like that's just more complication on top of an already complicated situation. Right. Matcha tea, meditation. I'm, I'm living that lifestyle until we're through and then I'll go get a Jack and Coke or whatever my drink of choice would be <laughs> in an alternate reality. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Um, I, uh, I've been doubling down on meditation, you know, I'm, I'm an, at least an hour a day. Actually, I have been for a while now, but I've kind of increased that over the past eight weeks or so, just because it's, it's a good time to do that. And, uh, there's no, there's no, there's no down, you know, there's no downside to meditating. <laughs> I right. mean, I mean, nobody's ever said, Oh God, I wish I didn't do that meditation. That was a horrible experience. Like it's always so a hack. Can I share a meditation please, hack? Please. Um, you know, probably 90% of your guests have brought up meditation at some point. It's like something that everyone always talks about, but, uh, the afternoon meditation is killer for me. A lot of people think, Oh, I got to do my morning routine. I got to do this. I'll save a 10 minute meditation in the afternoon. I actually did one before our interview. And, and it's okay if this turns into a 10 minute nap too, but doing an afternoon meditation, it creates this dividing line for me that gives me clarity and focus in the afternoon that I never get in my, if I power straight through the afternoon. Nice. Okay. And, and again, it, can, it usually 50%, 55% of the times, I, like if it was a 20 minute meditation, it would be a nap completely because right, right. I will totally fall, but I'm slowly drifting and the alarm goes off and then I get right to it. And, and is it, do you use any audio or is it silent meditation or what do you do? So specifically in the morning I use headspace and okay. that's a 20 minute meditation. And then in the afternoon it's nothing silence, no guidance, no music, just in a quiet space. And, and, and that's for me to just be, just be, like I'm not, there's no outcome for it. I'm not trying to meditate on stress or whatever the prompts give you on headspace. And are you laying down or sitting cross-legged or 
I'm in a, uh, a, a an Eames chair. <laughs> I'm sitting in a in a in a like a little recliner. Okay. Kind of. So Got I'm it. like half lying down, half sitting up, and Any- my legs are propped up. So hence nap 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 position. And so this is just empty in your mind. Any uh, paying attention to breath or anything, Russ? No mantras. No breathing. I want this to literally. It's almost like a timeout. Okay. Like I'm just putting myself in timeout. And I do it after lunch too, after I've eaten a big meal. So I'm just like settling into that. I'm appreciating the meal. I'm appreciating the food and I'm, I'm just stopping. And that is been so helpful for me. Um, I, you know, it's something I've added this year in Mm -hmm. 2020 and, um, you know, the days that I don't do it, I'll find myself at that 3 PM, 4 PM, just checking email, not really like clear. What am I doing? Refresh, like, you know, like that, yeah. that weird mode you get in when you're just not clear. And this afternoon meditation really helps me get clear on an intention for the afternoon to, to make sure I still have a good productive um, rest of the day. I like that, man. And then, so after the meditation, are you going back to work or when do you yep. do your workout? You like your daily workout? I usually do it. Um, I've been sleeping in a little bit later. Like I, I like stop setting an alarm and just get up when the sun gets me up or the kids get us up, but it's between six and seven. I'll start my workout and it's a hour long workout. So I'll do 20 minutes of a, of a heavy weightlifting, like a a core lift, like a bench or something, um, a barbell lift, I'll do a 20 minute circuit and then I'll add it either like 20 minutes of stretching or 20 minute run, depending on the day. But like I have a 20 minute timer I set for each section and boom, 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 I get through it. And then post the afternoon meditation, you go back to work until what time do you have a hard stop in the afternoons? Yeah. Um, I've been usually, I mean, it's like, post-COVID and pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, it was like six-ish. I'll be home by six. Now I'm trying to get home between three and four. And then and then just wherever I'm at, just pausing. And then being with the kids more, being letting my wife get a break with the kids because she's been with them all day, every day. And then, and then taking those two-ish hours that I would have normally just jammed out until six. And I'll just fit them in before bed in the evenings. I find a lot of times, whatever I was even planning on doing, I'm just like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. So, <laughs> okay. you know, and, and I've had a lot of guilt and I don't know if your listeners or you've talked to the people, but I feel like there's this guilt that I'm, I'm more focused on getting more done. I'm getting things done sooner. There's less distractions and four o'clock rolls around and I really am done, but I'm like searching for things or I'm like hunting for things. And it's hard for me to be like satisfied Right. With the amount because it's not 6 p.m. or it's not 7 p.m. I know so how you feel. It's this I know weird how you feel. thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're just, we're so used to like having another thing to do and then another thing like and continuing that. Yeah. And, but would you say that I, I, from my experience, life becomes more uh, uh, enriching. Is that a word? Enriching. Yes. Um, when you do cut it off at an earlier time and you just go and, hang out with the family or, you know, hang out with friends or whatever it is. Yeah. It it is. I think on paper, everyone would agree. Like no one's going to disagree that that's a bad thing, but I am radically aware of my brain and how it's been wired in an unhealthy way to not be okay with that. Right. To to feel like I have to be doing something else from, you know, 4 PM to 6 PM. Uh, or whatever, like if I sleep in till 6am, 
God forbid, I am so lazy and unproductive <laughs> <laughs> versus my 5 a.m. at the gym by 4.30. So this is a challenge. You know, I am so thankful and I, and I don't want to have any um, mis mis misunderstanding that there are severe challenges people are facing. And I am in a fortunate position that I can even laugh about these being my challenges. And so something I'm consciously thinking of is how can I use the abundance that I have, whether it's time or focus or attention, and be supporting those who, who, who aren't in that position, you know, who are suffering with challenges that are on a more, on a more fundamental level which is really um, going to be a big part of what we're going to see over the next year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Russ, um, any other main lessons you learned from the 08 recession regarding your business or handling, you know, uh, handling the mindset during that time? Yeah. I mean, I think the most macro one and one I've been talking to a lot of people about were the decisions that I made in 2015 based off of my 2005 to 2014 career running this business that cycled through the 08 recession. Mm -hmm. And that was, how do I make an anti-fragile business? You know, how do I make a business that doesn't have a single point of failure, whether that is with, um, you know, only a few clients that pay a lot, technology, physical location. And so, you know, we talked about this a lot in our first interview, but, by designing my business in the way that I did, remote workforce, some smaller dollar amounts, larger volume subscriptions, um, being able to do everything online, even manage clients, sell clients, all of that, I had set myself up for what we're experiencing today. And I always knew that there would be a challenge like 08 coming again, but I didn't want to be holding the same bag that I was then where I wake up to an email and, and you know, 40% of my revenue is gone because one person made a decision that was completely out of my control. So, you know, this is the opportunity now, you know, remote working and, and everyone on Zoom and all of that is, it's like funny and everyone's like, oh yeah, we're all gonna do it. But those that continue with it and make this a fundamental, fundamental part of a business as well as other, other ways, um, diversifying their revenue stream. You know, we're launching a SaaS product soon called Fresh Stock. It's a subscription stock asset site that's unique and diverse and creative. We're, we're thinking of ways to diversify our business model, not just with what we do, but how we sell and what we sell. Those that stick with that beyond this and don't just go back to normal, that's the, that's the resilience that will come out of this, which will be beautiful to see. Absolutely. And I've noticed so many and myself included so many entrepreneurs that are seeing holes in their business where, where, you know, I'll, I'll look at my business now and I'm like, Oh, maybe it's not as, as sustainable. And I don't have as much freedom as I thought I did. Um, because I've been, you know, running a business, you know, traveling for nine years remote for nine years and it's been great. But at the same time, like there's, there's little holes there that I'm like, Whoa, this kind of took me back, you know, took me back a little bit. And so many people that have been, that we've talked to or that have been on the masterminds are going through the same thing. You know, they may have a really awesome seven figure business, but they've never been through an experience like this before. And all of a sudden they realize that business model is not as sustainable as they thought it was. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting to see, but you know, if you're listening out there, you guys, this will, 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 and can be 
one of the most valuable business lessons and experiences you will ever have if you keep at it. If you just keep your your mind strong, just keep going. You know, it's going to be challenging. Uh, money comes in and out like the tide, right? As entrepreneurs, money's going to we're going to have extremely abundant times, and sometimes we have scarce times. So. Um, what I like that you mentioned, Russ, is that you know you're to a point now where you have to diversify uh, business revenue and business model, right? Because if you don't, you know, it could hit again. You never know, you know, what's going to happen another decade from now, uh, especially with this new digital world that we're all involved, you know, involved in. Absolutely. And the way the way I'm thinking is, how do I align myself with the next ten years of what's going to happen? Not that I'm not thinking it's all going to come to an end. <laughs> like, like modern society as we know is not ending. And if it did podcasts like this won't matter. Like everyone <laughs> who's been a prepper will finally rejoice in their decisions. <laughs> so you either believe it's going to succeed or you should be doing a lot of other different things other than thinking about business. Like if you're not confident in the success of the economy and the abundance mindset and this like infinite horizon we're marching towards, then then don't be confident and go live in a cave and learn how to make fire on your own and hunt your own animals and all the things that will come true if it all collapses. But if you don't, if you don't think that's going to happen, then, you know, put a little optimism on and think about, okay, where do I need to be in two years from now to be on top? And that's, that's my approach. Yeah. Fantastic approach. I do want a crossbow though. You know, I'm just going to say I did get a crossbow just in case. I mean, it never hurts to, <laughs> to use a bow and arrow, man. I grew up shooting bows and arrows, <laughs> you know, just in case, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, okay. So I've got some, some more questions here talking yeah. about um, when did you see first the market shifting Russ um, for this, what we're going through now? What were your thoughts and what were some of the first action steps you took? So it all happened just as fast for us as it, as I think it's happened for a lot of people. It was that third week in March. Um, things are starting to hit the U.S. and the mainstream news. And a lot of decisions are being made on the travel front, on the restriction front. And I actually was in Australia right the week preceding this. So I was I was trying to do an event in Indonesia for our teams I got to Australia and then Indonesia and the Philippines both essentially went under martial law. So I turned around and, and my initial reaction was, um, was it Plato's Plato's principle, 80, 20 rule? Like I was like, okay, be prepared. We're going to, we're going to see a 20% dip, like 20% of our clients. You know, we service small businesses. We service fortune 500 companies, those small guys, there's nothing we're going to do. And I was telling my customer success team, there's no amount of offers, no amount of deals, like their businesses are shutting down, closing. There's nothing for us to serve them anymore. And I will tell you, our revenue report 30 days, you know, third week of April was down 18%. Nice. So I was 2% <laughs> off on that. Now, here's the crazier thing, though, is that April was our largest month of signups we've ever had in the history of Design Pickle. So there's a big shift happening, people leaving, starting new businesses, wanting to do things. So the first thing I did when this was happening and it was going down was I dove into the numbers like we were talking about. All right, we need a cash forecast. We were doing monthly cash forecasting, uh, but not a two or not a three month projection of cash forecasting. So we re immediately went to a four week cash forecast to a 13 week cash forecast. Then I did something that I, that I think every leader and every business owner can do is I went on the offensive in the communication. 
not just to our clients, but first to my team. Here's where we're at as a company. We are stable. We have this much in the bank. We're going this direction. Here's what we're measuring. Here's what we're watching. Here's what we expect to happen. Here's how you can stay safe. So in a vacuum of uncertainty, something's going to fill that in, whether it's the media, the news, whatever. And I didn't want as best as I can, the, the, the traditional news sources con, con, getting into the walls of design pickle. Right. And so we went on the offensive. Um, I opened up lines of communications across the company. So every Monday and still right now, I'm going to just continue it from three to 9 PM. I have office hours, 12 half hour slots. Anyone at any of the company can book it. We'll talk about whatever. Um, every Friday I'm doing videos to the company and all my leadership team are doing videos, loom videos, two, three minutes max. Uh, about what's going on. So we have just been on the offensive communication. So sharing the, the finances with the entire company, like all 500 people. Sharing the big bullets. You know, okay. we have two months of cash in the bank. We have three months of cash in the bank. You know, things that are relevant to them. Okay. Um, our sales numbers are, are apparent on, on, a, on a, you know, on the, on the HQ side, which is like our marketing, our sales, all of that. Um, and our cost structures are known, you know, depending on the department, but I shared the financials that were important, good and bad. So when we were down 20%, we did a call last month in March. I told the whole company, Hey, we're down 20%. Like this is what this is going to mean. We might have to make sacrifice. Right. I talked about that transparency. I wasn't painting a rosy picture. You may have to take pay cuts, but here's what's happening until then to, to ensure we're, we're fighting against that reality. Um, and then last with our clients, what did we say to our clients is we just said, we're here for you. We didn't publish a bunch of stuff. We didn't freak out where we just said, look, we know there's a lot going on. You don't have to worry about us. Your designs will get done. So nice. let's continue. <laughs> and, and I don't know if this is the right decision or not, but I haven't published any COVID related client messaging since. It's just been, we're good and we're launching product. We're shipping new things. We, we're, here's what's new. And we're, we're just... Don't, I don't want to add to that conversation unless it's necessary. That makes sense. Um, and you said you had uh, an increase in signups in April. And, and so- Most ever in the history of the company. Wow, impressive. <laughs> so you, you went back up from, you know, you went down 18% and then it, April brought it back up? Uh, from, a, from a client number standpoint, yes. Um, we ran a promotion in April. So the net revenue is still down. But we, you know, that's, that's always the case with first month signups. We're usually doing 10, 15, 20% off. This was a big discount. We did a 50% off, which we will only do usually once a year and at the end of the year and 50% off your first month. And, um, it's actually, it was a huge success. A lot of people wanting to get on board and that, that, you know, 150 ish dollar amount was a no brainer for them. Yeah. 200, sorry, $200 amount was a no brainer for them. Okay. Uh, what made you guys decide to do the, the 50% discount? So I've seen, you know, back and forth on this. Some people say, you know, don't cut the prices. You yeah. got to keep your, you know, you got to keep your, your brand there, the quality there. And some people are like, no, we're doing freemium now, you know? And, and mm -hmm. so I'm curious about the thoughts that you guys and the conversations you guys had to, to decide on the 50%. So this is like, the like the oldest argument at design pickle is do we discount or do we not discount? Cause I've, I've been on both sides of the coin. 
the cheapens your brand. People will get conditioned. It's a race to the bottom, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But here's what I've seen. We are a weird company. <laughs> we offer something people, most people have never bought before the way we're selling it. They bought in design services. They bought in creativity, but never on this model. So we're, there's like a weird trust issue we're always trying to overcome. Trust that we can do what we say we're going to do. Trust that the quality is going to be there. Trust that it's not a scam, which we have, you know, people have thought it's a scam. Trust we're not running a slave ship off the shores of the Virgin <laughs> Islands and, you know, like they're supporting some evil empire. We, we see psychologically that when we offer a deal, people are willing to try us out. And I hate it and I wish it wasn't true, but man, the math adds up year over year. And we only do a month or so promotion and 80% of those clients will stick around. We'll, we will have a good drop off the first couple months of people who we weren't a fit for, but then they end up sticking around and our average LTV right now is over $4,000. So like, you know, I don't know why it happens. I think it's a weird nuance for us, but you know, it's like the guy who's walking around giving away you know, a, a, a $2 really expensive tool, you'd be like, you know, like, or no, it's like a really expensive tool that, you know, like you're, you're not sure about. And he's finally like, dude, just try it. Like it's no cost. Just try it. And you're like, all right, is this going to work? And you're like, holy shit, this works. This works well. And there's just that trusting we got to get through. And that's how we've, that's, that's the way we've done it. <laughs> what, um, has anything internally like changed in the company? Um, you know, you, 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 you've kept pretty much the same messaging. Um, you addressed everybody, you know, pretty transparently and pretty rapidly, which is awesome. Anything else that has shifted in the company that you've, you, you've guys had to take care of to make sure that you stay flexible on what happens in the next, you know, coming months, three, six months. Well, I will, I, will, I will correct one thing you mentioned. We did shift our messaging quite a bit in the end of March to be value focused. Okay. So prior to this, we were very focused on anything but cost, anything but saving time and money. It just wasn't how we wanted to sell. So we, we decided that immediately we were going to move to this is our price. This is how much time and money you can save. And it's been working really well. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand why that's on the top of people's minds. And, you know, looking at who we're trying to grow, the, the market we're trying to grow, they still need design work. Like they're still running businesses. They're not out of a job. They're not closing their doors, but they don't have the budgets they did to have a full-time person or the agencies they used to have. So, um, so we're speaking into that. Now to your question on, on what else we've had to change, um, we've had to really level up our efforts to be on the offensive of connecting our teams because we did rely on in-person events at least a couple times a quarter, either here in the States or even internationally. My whole job this year was to fly around and visit all of our other markets in the six countries that we're in. Mm -hmm. like, I, I didn't even get started. Like I couldn't <laughs> even get that off the ground. So we're doing virtual conferences. We're doing weekly challenges in Slack, a monthly pre-made video that's really well done from our people team. Um, so that's, that's been huge for us, uh, trying internally. And externally with clients, we've just had to really loosen up things with when it comes to um, maybe giving a free month or, or allowing clients to put something 
on pause and, and coming back. We're honoring a discount. Like we're just doing, breaking so many rules that we had as far as pricing and this is what we do and we won't go beyond this just to make sure we're helping people. Like I don't want to pull away design pickle from someone who needs it right now over a hundred dollars with that. Um, and I, and I think that's just common sense and most brands I've, I've even interacted with, like I've gotten discounted or free things without even asking during the, all of this, um, because people are really trying to make that effort. Yeah, that makes sense. What's your, what's your prediction of what's going to happen in the next three, six, 12 months Russ? You know, I think, um, greed is going to take over. And what I mean by that is I think people's desire to, to, to be in, you know, continue with the, 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 the world that we've built will exceed their fear of, a, of a sickness or of a virus. Um, and that's going to have consequences either way. I think you'll see economically, it'll have a positive con- consequence from a physical mental health standpoint, it's going to have a negative consequence. Uh, there, there really is no getting around that we have built a massive, the world has built a massive model around spending, connection, experience, all of these things that have been ripped from us. And politicians are going to bend to that. And it's not going to be pretty from a public health standpoint, but it, it, it'll happen. And it'll be one of those things where history will judge us, but I, I, I can't foresee greed being held back much longer, especially in America. Yeah, it, uh, it, I saw that happen in 08 as well. And so 08, 09. And, uh, so yeah, it's a solid prediction. What about like goals for the company? So, you know, obviously Q1 goals are pretty irrelevant. Um, are you guys planning out the rest of like Q3, Q4 now? You know, not much has changed from us in terms of our targets and plans. The, the quarter, our quarter goals for Q2 has been stabilize, stabilize sales, stabilize retention. And we've accomplished that in May, you know, things are turning around. So it's adjusting our forecast. We were forecasted to be 16 plus million in revenue. Now we're looking at 14 million in revenue. Um, we are looking at, at what are we going to do from a product rollout standpoint? I think we've accelerated a few things to improve our value, to increase our value for our customers without increasing our pricing or anything. And that's, that's like our mission for this year is just more value, more value, more value. So, so our clients feel that we are, we are over delivering on what, you know, that big transaction, when they see it, they see so much more. And I will share something, actually another kind of tip that we're doing uh, I did not at all take credit of this at all, but it, we are going to be working on monthly reports on value that we're going to be sending out to our clients. So you've seen this, if you use Grammarly, the writing tool, or you use others and they give you like, you're, you're smarter than 90% of people writing like good, good, big words of usage. Like, you're like, Oh, I love this. So we're going to be, you know, I read and I, and I realized we are not doing a good job of communicating our value on a practical level. So we're actually going to be building reports that are going to be launching next month for all clients every month where it's like, here's how many things you requested. Here's what, here's what this would have cost if you hired a designer in your local area. Here's, here's how much time you saved nice. so that they can start to say, wow, I'm only paying $400. And I, this would have, you know, 20 requests would have cost me 3000. Yeah. 
I love you guys. So individual reports, is that what you're, you're, yeah, oh, wow. we're going to build it out with our software. We are, we already track, you know, how many requests, how much, how many logins, all, a lot of the things. And we're going to make some assumptions and then bring in other data, average salaries in different, different regions. Um, and we'll launch this to us clients first. And then every month they will, it'll, our app will look at their data of usage and extrapolate the value data based off of what we've determined as the assumptions and then deliver a pretty little email to them saying, here's what you did. Man, I'm, I'm impressed like with all the stuff that you have going on, like you're staying on top of everything with the business. You've got to have a really, really great team. Plus, I know you wrote a book. Plus, you've got a personal brand. Plus, you've got your <laughs> podcast with your wife. And plus, you're, you're launching Fresh Stock as well. Yeah. And so is, is, is this like... Are you Superman or is this, you know, that you just built a really great team to keep you it's in check? a great team and I'm a maniac when it comes to time management. So I run a pretty tight ship. My calendar is, blo- I've been doing time blocking for years. I've even created my own Russ Perry branded printable that I use almost every day on things, you know, to keep myself organized. Um, and and it's, it's a work in progress, you know, like this is five years of effort and work and a team and identify, I've made a lot, of, a lot of mistakes. I've gone down paths, you know, other software companies, other projects that haven't worked out. But I think it's, a lot of it is just keeping the bigger picture in mind and, um, and, and surrounding yourself with really good people. I mean, that, there's no way I could do any of this without the teams that I've built. Starting from the first two people I hired in 2015 to the, you know, we're hiring a front-end engineer this week. And, you know, he'll, he'll be the 500th-ish person. And it's just like always being on the search for that. Right. Um, I think a lot of people are realizing that the, the people they have on their teams and that they're surrounded with aren't, aren't um, as optimal as they wish they would be, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look to bring, surround yourself with people or bring people on your teams, what are some, some of the core things you look for? Well, it has to be first alignment with our company core values. And in our interview process, we just ask a very, cause our core values are on our website. You got to kind of click to find them, but we say, looking at the design pickle core values, which, which one do you identify with the most and why we don't actually list them. So a just shows can they go online and find something on our website, but B it, it gives them a writing prompt and we, and we're our first interview, like our first real interview past the initial screening is all about core values, uh, which are friendly, smart working, truth, service, and tenacity for us. So that's how you, that's how you build an automatic culture is that you, you, you hire around a set of principles or values. And then as far as how do we, you know, how do, how do I make sure people are performing? It's not a perfect science, but what I've learned over the years is their first 90 days is sink or swim in a very clear way of, of what it is you expect, very black and white, very metric driven, and, and hiring people who match your core values that are given a blueprint of what you expect, not telling them how to do it, but what you expect them to do. It's been an incredible formula for us. Even people who I was sure weren't gonna make it have turned into an incredible, valuable team members and leaders inside of our, our company. And everyone who hasn't made it, we broke that process along the way. Either we didn't have the core values piece or we assumed they were too, oh, they're so experienced. Look at their resume. They're going to do awesome. They can just come in and figure it out. 
And so like they, we hired them and put them in a leadership position and they didn't, and that was on us. So it's that, it's that clarity. And I, and I'm always trying to get better at it. I, I don't think I'm, I'm actually a very good manager. I'm not a very good communicator when it comes to my teams. So, um, we used, we, we recently this year took on the EOS system, entrepreneurial operating system, by Gina Wickman and track the book traction. That's been game changing too, because we actually now have a framework for communication. We have a framework for accountability and at our size in the remote nature, I can't imagine a company not using something like this because, you know, even if you had 20 people, but everyone's remote right now, you need, you need some rules and some systems and how you manage that. And that's what EOS has become for us. Yeah. So you've got fresh truck stock coming out in June, right? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What can Fre- we expect from it? Yeah. So fresh stock is I'm very proud of, uh, because I have made, I've bought random ass businesses and I've built random ass businesses while inside of design tickle and fresh stock is our first other thing that is directly in alignment with what we're doing. And we're dubbing it the world's most diverse stock vector asset site. So we looked at all the vector asset sites out there for designers and creatives, and it was very vanilla, very plain, you know, a lot of the same, um, and, 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 and not, not thinking of just the diversity in our world and, and what's going on. So uh, we spent a year building it. Um, we're launching publicly in June. It's going to be at launch 30,000 assets. It's just like Design Pickle, one subscription. You can download what you need every month. And, and the aim is to first, well, this month it's, it's launching to Design Pickle clients. So in our app, there's a asset modal window that searches several stock libraries and fresh stock is going to be in there. But these are going to be Adobe files, ready to go, ready to design, ready to use. Um, the, the quality is mind-blowing. Chris, like, I mean, this is great. And the beauty for our clients, it's going to be like Canva, but you don't have to do it. You pick what you want. You just tell them what you want and then they do it and it's done the next day. So, um, so this, this helps entrepreneurs and our clients stay in their lane. You know, we don't want, we don't want people to become designers. That's what we want to do. Um, so I'm really excited. And then every week we're going to be publishing once after launch, you know, anywhere from 500 to a thousand new assets. And we can take requests. We can take feedback. Like our, our team is building this. This isn't just crowdsourced from anyone around the world. So, you know, as we're growing this, um, we're excited for the front end sales to the public, but also for our own clients that they're going to have a unique advantage for their creations. Um, so yeah, I can't, I can't wait. And, and, you know, knock on wood, that, that profitable SaaS revenue <laughs> couldn't come any sooner <laughs> with that. It's good timing, man. Yeah. Russ, um, do you have any final tips for the entrepreneurs going through the challenging times right now? You know, I, I don't think so. I think we hit it. I mean, one, I want to reiterate it, just be on the offensive in your communication. I mean, that to me is the best thing. And I find I'm in the most confident, clear space when I'm meditating and I'm forced to look at the facts, often financials. A lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs aren't, don't like the financials. You know, they want to outsource them. They want to do stuff to other people. But, you know, getting clear every day with my morning ritual and then not being afraid of the facts, getting that financial report every, every Friday, diving into it. And, and the confidence I get out of that helps me stay on the offensive with my teams, with my wife, with the community, with you here today, Chris. So I think for our listeners, it's just, pursue that, you know, pursue that offensive communication. And if it's, if it's hard, more than likely you're not clear on the facts or you're not spending time to get clear. 
So no wonder it's going to be hard to be on that offensive. Yes. And that leads to uncertainty and lack of confidence and a yep. whole list of other things. <laughs> All right, man, dude, it's been so good to reconnect with you Absolutely. and, uh, we'll have you on the show maybe another couple of years, another 200 episodes down the line. <laughs> hey, hopefully oh, yeah, we'll be like 25 million by then. Hopefully. So. Yes. More <laughs> prosperous times. Not as crazy as a, as a, a thanks. And you know, economy, for everyone, yeah. anyone wants to reach out or ask more yeah. questions, um, Go to my site, rustperry.co. That's my personal site. I, I take time to answer anything that comes through there. And uh, and I'd love to help or expand or share more. Cool. Appreciate you, Russ, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.